Welcome to another episode of Exploring Hill Podcast, a Florida International University student podcast for the creative curious. I'm your host, Cesar Monte, and I'm delighted to have Mia Vidal and Valeria Leon with me tonight. Welcome to Exploring Art Podcast. Thank you, Cesar. We're happy to be here. Yes, thank you, Cesar. I'm happy to be here, too. All right. So tonight we have a really interesting topic to cover. The title will be Brushstrokes Through Time. Oh, my God. This is going to be fun. Absolutely. We're going to focus on Nathaniel Willis. Nathaniel Willis's words about the upstate New York landscape around Lake George and how we can try to understand what he has um, suggested. Mia, would you like to tell our listeners what he said? Yeah, sure, Caesar. This is what Willis wrote in 1840. The mountains on the shore of this exquisite lake consist of two great ranges. Both these ranges alternately alternately, sorry, approach the lake so as to constitute a considerable part of its shores and recede from it again to the distance sometimes of two or three miles. The summits of these mountains are of almost every figure from the arch to the bold bluff and sharp comb. There is every variety of chasm, crag, promontory, and peak, which a painter would require for the noblest composition of mountain scenery. Thank you, Mia. Um, we could think about how the meaning of picturesque Willis seemed to appeal to and be understood in two different ways. This leads to a very important question, like, is the beauty of such scenery due to its resembling or suggesting a beautiful picture or painting, which we will try to depict in this podcast. But for now, let's start uh, asking who was Nathaniel Willis anyways. Okay, so Nathaniel Willis was an American publisher and journalist who lived in the 19th century. He was born on September 1st, 1780 in Boston, Massachusetts, and he died on May 26, 1870 in Boston. So he's mostly known as the founder of the first American magazine. Um, it was called the Boston Recorder and Telegraph, and he started this publication in 1813 and served as its editor and publisher. So this magazine covered various topics like literature, news, and religious articles. So yeah, it became really popular during his time. And you know, that's how he also became popular. So he was a prominent figure in the early American newspaper industry. So he also worked as a journalist for a lot of newspapers such as Eastern Argus and the New York Mirror. So Eastern Argus was in Portland, Maine, and then the New York Mirror was in New York City. So besides that, he also established some other publications like American Monthly Magazine and the American Christian Review. So um, he was also involved in religious activities. So as you can see, um, he had strong ties to the Congregational Church and you know, he often like incorporated his religious themes and ideas into these publications. So he was really known, you know, for his commitment to like 
his moral values, and his advocacy for religious and social causes. So that was really important to him, you know, like his religious beliefs. He he tend to like include them into his publications a lot. So he was also he also played a really significant role in shaping the early American media landscape. So this happened through his pioneering efforts in magazine publishing. So his contributions helped pave the way for the development of the magazine industry in the United States. So yeah, that's basically how I would describe um, Nathaniel Willis and all of his accomplishments. Well, that was really impressive. He's done a lot of things. He did a lot of things actually. But I also think that for this case, uh, it is a, I think it's also important to learn more about the New, New York Lake George area because like he was talking about that. And when I look through it, um, when I look, oh my gosh, when I look in like, you know, I made a little research about it. Uh, it is a touristic lake with different activities for all ages. Like it is really cute. <laughs> if you see the pictures, the, it's really nice. Like it will be a place that I will go on vacation. Um, they have food and drinks. They have family adventure activities um there's outdoor recreation so there's like ex those adventure extreme games and activities it's so fun it looks so fun it has museums and art galleries and shops so like these things are like current tourism things to do but at that point it was just like the place to be in so imagine being there just just like looking at nature like that would that would have been so cute and so fun and I think that's what he wanted to um portray on his words that's what I'm thinking like I mean it was an idea that just like I thought about uh it is a really nice place to stay on vacation or just on a weekend trip and like it has a combination of lake mountains and activities so you know it's that kind of vacation Yes, I completely agree with what you said, especially back then when there wasn't as much things to look at. Uh, I'm sure him looking at the scenery, the two mountain peaks, incredibly beautiful. I mean, the trees, it must have just been gorgeous out there. Um, anyways, this is uh, getting very interesting. How about we start um, defining some of uh, Willis's words that he uses in his uh, in his description about the landscape? That way we could uh, understand what he wanted to say. So for the first word we have, it's um, a chasm. I have a small definition here. Um, a chasm is a deep fissure or gap typically found in the earth's surface or a cliff. It often refers to a steep-sided opening or crevice that is usually formed by erosion, tectonic activity, or other geological processes. Chasms can vary in size, ranging from narrow cracks to wide gorges. Now, I find this interesting because that must have meant that while he was exploring the mountain, he um or the lake, he uh he ran into some of these natural um monuments here, which adds a lot of more beauty to the overall environment which he was in. Um, the second word I want to define here is crag. 
A crag is a rugged or steep cliff or rock face. It typically refers to a, a jutting or projecting part of a rock formation, often with a rough or an uneven surface. Craggy areas are commonly found in mountainous regions or along coastal cliffs. Crag is a term commonly used in the mountaineering or and rock climbing to describe a small, sharp, or isolated rock formation. Now, this part really stands out to me because it shows how the mountains were really formed in a rugged um, and a steep way, which could have brought out a lot more um, details to catch somebody's eyes if they were in the lake. George area at that time. Okay. Yeah. Um, I really agree with all that you just said. I think there's also um two words that are really important to think about the meaning. We have promontory and peak. Promontory, it's a high point of land or rock that comes out of the water. And peak is the pointed top of my mountain. Um as you can see, I think that Willis was talking about this scenery in a very objective way. So what he does there he is that he just describes what it would take a painter to portray the landscape. So we have champs, crags, promontory, and peaks. It's nothing like, um, it's not subjective. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like... He's, he's really objective of what uh, a painter should paint in order to like portray these landscapes. For sure, for sure. Um, Now that we've covered that, I actually wanted to circle back to the notion of picturesque with Mia. Um, Mia, how would you define picturesque? Okay, I love that question, Caesar, because there are actually different meanings to picturesque depending on what language you define it in. For example, in German, the term malerisch is used, which translates to picturesque or picturesquely in English. So the German understanding of the term includes elements of both visual attractiveness and artistic representation. So that is mostly related to uh, the idea of a scene or a landscape being suitable of or worthy of being painted or you know depicted artistically so then in Italian the term pittoresco is used um, which is translated to picturesque in English so that basically refers to something that's more you know like pleasing to the eyes or striking so that kind of conveys a sense of liveliness or animation in a scene so it's more you know related to something being dynamic or lively or more like energetic of a landscape or a setting so you could see how those two definitions are you know like different from each other so that kind of like that kind of ch kind of changes um, the definition of picturesque depending on the language. Um, but the French interpretation of that term 
kind of like emphasizes the aesthetic qualities of a scene. So it kind of focuses on its charming aspects. So it's more more to do with like how aesthetically pleasing it is or like <clears throat> how how beautiful it is. That's kind of like more what it defines too. So even though there's like these different um, variations of that word, depending on the language that it's in, basically the, the most general notion of, you know, a definition of picturesque is just related to appreciating and represent, representing, sorry, visually appealing, you know, like landscapes, natural scenery, and that's basically the fundamental definition across like all of the languages. Um, it, it just basically has to do with that. And whatever context it is in, it, whatever context it is used in, it could have different variations like in the emphasis or the interpretation, but basically at the end of the day, like the core, definition of of picturesque has to do with you know the aesthetic of the landscape and appreciating its beauty so yeah yeah um of course i agree with you and it's really interesting to think about how willis could have used that word to define what he was looking at when he was looking at the at the lake george um it could have been in any um context it's our job to figure it out but until then i guess it's a mystery um this leads me to my next question. Can you tell me about some American, French, and Italian landscape painters from the late 18th and early 19th century? Sure. Okay, so I'm going to start off with the French, the French painters. So first, I want to start talking about Jean-Baptiste Camille Corot. So his lifespan was 1796 to 1875. And like I said, he was a French landscape painter um, around that century. So he's basically known for his lyrical and poetic interpretations of landscapes. So he often kind of like featured serene and dreamlike scenes. So in his paintings, um, he exhibits delicate brushwork. So his his art was very subtle, very delicate, very soft. So his color harmonies were very soft and very calming. And you could see that in his paintings, like the bridge at Narni, which was made in 1826. And you could also see in his work, The Evening Star, made in 1863. They were both depictions of nature and they were both very soft. So that was him. Another one, another French landscape painter I could provide for you um, is gonna be Giovanni Antonio Canal. He's mostly known as Canaletto and he lived from 1697 to 1768. Um, so he was actually an Italian painter. And he was famous for his highly detailed and precise cityscape and landscape paintings, um, particularly Venice. 
So he mostly captured architectural beauty. So he was he was very into depicting like landscape as in buildings and its architectural beauty. So he would depict like canals and buildings and the streets and things like that. And he would he would make them vibrant and in his paintings such as the Grand Canal in Venice from Palazzo Flangini to Campo San Marco Marcuola in 1738 and the Piazzetta and the library 1742 they really show um his mastery of of light perspective and positions um in capturing ur urban landscapes so he was very talented and his technique was very on point so which was really helpful um because architecture is very like very detailed and he did a good job in depicting that in his work. So that was a French painter and then that was an, an Italian painter. So the next person I'm gonna tell you about is gonna be a French painter. Um, his name is Pierre Henry de Valenciennes. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. And he lived from 1750 to 1819. Um, so like I said, he was a French painter and he was an art theorist. So he was actually very important in the elevation of landscape painting um, to a respected genre within the French Academy. So he emphasized the importance of outdoor painting. Um, so basically, light and atmosphere was very important to him. And, you know, the detail in space and depth was also very important to him. So you can really see that in his work, The Forum of Rome from 1782 and View of Mont Blanc from La Fausile, sorry if I said that wrong, made in 1808. So yeah, he was mostly about atmosphere and space and detail. So yeah, those are three um, landscape painters. Okay, thank you, Mia. Um, sure. Yeah, also, um, if, we're, if we're talking, we also need to take a look at like different type of painters, landscape painters. Um, I have some examples for American painters. Um, we have Thomas Cole. Uh, I chose specific um, pieces of them um, to try to see the differences between like the different techniques and all the things that they used. Um, I have one of him, it's the, cor the Course of Empire. This is a landscape, but it's like a really fantasy type of landscape. Um, we have like I don't I don't know how I don't know how to describe it, but there's a lot of color architecture and like statues. It's it's a really nice painting, but it's not like realistic in a kind of way. But we also have uh, the view of the round tip. I'm sorry, the view of the roundup in the Caskill Mountains 
he uh, painted this and if you look at it it's all like it's really more realistic than the first one he has a lot of nature here he has mountains he has trees the sky it is all really beautiful painting but it doesn't have the same colors as it has on the course of empire so those are like two different examples of him like trying to do a landscape picture um painting i'm sorry i also have albert albert Bierstadt. um he has the looking down yours me california and the Lake Tahoe. The Looking Down Jules Meet California, it's a really beautiful painting. Like it has, the, the details of the sky are really beautiful. You can see the mountains, but it, it looks like a literal picture. Like he was there and he just took it. And the light, Lake Tahoe, it's a little bit more like fantasy looking, but it's pretty realistic to me the mountains, the trees, you have to take a look at these type of um, uh, paintings in order to understand what these people were trying to portray and were trying to show others. I have also an example of Frederick, Frederick Edwin Church. He was also an American painter. And two of his paintings that really like got to me were Codopaxi and Aurora Borealis. These paintings are also beautiful, but he's like, they're more fantasy looking that, than the ones from Thomas Cole and Albert Bierstadt. Um, again, the use of colors, um, the nature on them, like all of these have mountains on them and they have like impressive skies. So maybe that's like um, a way of American paintings for landscapes because um, I also have some examples for Italian painters. These Italian painters are so different from the ones that I found of American paint painters. For example, I have Consalvo Carelli. He has one painting called The Village Overlooking the Sea of Naples. Um, this is a, it doesn't look as real as the American paintings, but um, it also has a lot of architecture on it, on it. And the use of colors is like more natural, not like the, the other ones were like, try to put more bright uh, colors on the, on the paintings. This one has like more subtle tones and like colds, but it really looks nice um another example of this is vittorio avondo he has this uh, piece of art called Chiete. i don't know how to say that how to pronounce it um but it has a lot of natural elements and it looks like if you can see it it's like if you were like standing right there with the difference between these and the american ones is like you can feel as if you're standing right in front of the landscape but for the Americans, it was more just like trying to take you to a fantasy type of landscape because it's like too perfect. While the Vittoria Bondo, for example, Quiete, it's more um, it's more realistic and it takes you there and it has the colors that you would see in real life, you know. And finally, 
for a, an Italian painter, I have Silvio Allison. Um, he has this artwork called Scogli. Um, it's just a painting showing rogues, uh, shore and water splashing. Um, it is not as, again, it, it is not as real as um, the American paintings, but it has more like these things that you would see actually in like in a regular basis, you know, not like not like this perfect and like beautiful. I mean, you can see beautiful in a regular day, but it's like it's easier to find than the ones that the Americans painted. So I think those are like differences between between the paintings and the painters. Of course. Um, thank you for that. Now, um, I'd like to know each of your uh, personal opinions on the work that these painters did. Um, Because everybody obviously has different opinions on whether they think something is beautiful or not. Like one said before, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So I want to ask you guys, um, do you think these paintings from these people are ugly? I do not think these paintings are ugly whatsoever. Personally, I think that these are actually one of the most beautiful paintings, in my opinion, because I love nature and I love landscape. And I feel like the fact that these painters were able to depict that into their art and make their own twist on it and make the technique and the detail so perfect and so vibrant and colorful and do their own twist and make it soft or make it however they want it to be and I think that's that's something beautiful and I personally think that it's amazing and I love to see paintings like that I love to see all kinds of landscape paintings um and anything to do with like outside and like space and nature I love it so personally, I, I think it's not ugly at all. I think it's beautiful. I don't think uh, they are ugly either. I've seen these paintings, like when I was doing this research, I I just kept looking at them and like you can see, as, as I told you earlier on, like you can feel you're there. And I think that's a really nice experience when you're trying to um, appreciate art. Um, I think they are beautiful in their own way because um, if you try to compare all of these sceneries and like the the colors and the nature and the way they're trying to portray this to you, they're they're all different from each other. But they try to get, to make you feel something about them, you know. So I think that's actually beautiful. Yeah, actually, I can agree um, with Vale. I think that these paintings um, do a good job at, like, evoking emotion into the people that are looking at it. So I think that's also another valuable aspect on these paintings. That's right. And also, like, um, you can relate this to beauty in a sense that um, some people may find more beautiful in different types of landscapes. So um, maybe they care about the colorful tools or they prefer surrealistic pieces or they prefer nature. But like, I think that's the reason why picturesque 
uh, should be taken more as our satisfaction from the contribution to the viewer, you know. I think the Italian pittoresco is more is more a plausible route for this type of beauty. Yeah. And that um, all of the works are different from each other, but they're amazing in their own way. Yeah. Of course. I agree. Um one thing I want to add I obviously everybody has their own opinion on these um drawings they could look at whatever drawing they want and determine whether it's beautiful or not based on their own opinion but um I wanted to ask also a small little question um for you guys what exactly makes an artwork beautiful is it color is it um the structure of it the meaning behind it what do you guys think okay well okay um <laughs> <laughs> i i want to say that that's kind of like um it's kind of a hard question for me because there's just so much that goes into something being beautiful for me especially you know like paintings um I would say, I guess I would say color isn't the most important. I would say maybe like the emotion and how it makes me feel. And also what the actual painting is showing. So like if it's showing like a beautiful sunset, then of course I'm going to find that beautiful. And in that case, then yeah, the color would really matter. Um but perhaps it's showing like you know like a garden with like a bunch of uh maybe like vegetables and stuff like that in perhaps like a city where that stuff isn't seen like it's it's a rundown city or it's like a poor city so then in that case it would have more meaning and that would be that would make me that would make it beautiful to me because of the emotion and, and that's what i would value so it, I guess it depends on the painting. Um, I guess whatever strikes to me the most when I look at it is what makes it the most beautiful. But yeah, that's a good question, Caesar. Yeah, I thank you, think it's a good question. Do you have any thoughts to add on that, um, Valeria? Um, I think I think um I agree with Mia actually because every time I see a picture, um, a painting, I try to see what it makes me feel you know uh what uh what meaning it had had behind um the picture so what was the artist trying to tell me through the painting so that's that's how you start depicting these these uh types of pieces of art and try to like connect to them so i think that's the beautiful thing about art so yeah of course and rolling back to the topic of um lake george in general um, do you guys think that it would be better to have more of a French type of, um, viewpoint, which is like an artist drawing it more like a picture, or would you prefer more of an Italian representation, more like of a painting, um, obviously looks less realistic for this type of, uh, to show the type of beauty in the Lake George. What do you guys think about that? I mean, uh, when I was looking at the painting, like the difference between the 
French, Italian, and American painters. Um, I prefer the American and French landscapes. Um, they don't even look similar, but like um, the way that they showed the landscapes were really nice. So yeah, maybe I prefer, but it's like, as I said, like it's a personal opinion. That's what makes me feel something, but many people may not agree with me. Of course, of course. Oh, Mia, do you have something to add on to that or no? Uh, yeah, actually, my favorite it could be the the French landscapes. I don't know. I just like the way that the nature is depicted. So yeah, that's that's my choice. All right. Well, um, I believe that is all the time we have today. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mia and Valeria. I appreciate it. This concludes Exploring Art Podcast. Subscribe to Exploring Art Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Please join us soon. And remember to stay curious. Thank you, Cesar. Thank you, Mia. It was so nice being here. Thank you, guys. I had a great time today. Bye. Bye. Bye.